when he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. Well, the giant moves. He's got a spear in one hand and he's running really fast and spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody else, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. And I feel something pulling at my legs. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I saw three long bony fingers with like claws on the end, reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it and then disappear. If you take the head, you get the whole package. If you don't take the head off, then what happens is they disappear. I've been killing ETs longer than most people have careers. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blowed his head off. It's almost like they're unzippering our reality and they stick their head through and they look around and if it looks like it's, the coast is clear, they step through the rest of the direction. reach my hand into this bush and I touch air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I am your host, Tony Merkel. Thank you for being here. If you had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. That's theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the contact section, and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me just get a hold of me. And if you want extra shows every week on Thursdays, we release an extra bonus show for members only on the website. So if you want more of The Confessionals every week, go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com and become a member today. Now, here we are, episode 200. I can't believe we are hitting episode 200. You guys have been riding with me for a long time. Some of you guys have been here from the very beginning, listening to all 200 shows. And for that, I just want to say thank you very much for being here. Episode 200 happened in a blink of an eye. I literally cannot believe I've been doing this for 200 episodes for three years every week. It's insane when you think about it. So thank you very much for being here for episode 200. You guys are awesome. Keep listening. I'll keep doing the show. Keep sharing it. And we're all going to do this together. Now, I want to let you guys know that something happened this week. And my brother, Jack, I know I razz him a lot. I know I give him stuff. But listen, honestly, Jack came in on the clutch for the confessionals this week. You see, I bought a computer a few years before I even started a podcast. And this computer that I bought was never meant to do the things that I was making it do on a weekly basis with the podcast. And it was letting me know it didn't like it. And the last few years, I'd say last year and a half, this computer has really been going downhill. I knew it was dying, but this week it actually died on me. I turned it on and I went to open my recording software and it was moving really slow, like way slower than it normally moves. And it moved slow before. And I go to open the recording software and it took about 25 minutes for this program to open up. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I went to go do something on the program once it opened and it just froze. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. And so I grabbed the computer. I literally almost threw it across the room. I was so angry at it. And then Jack told me that I could borrow his laptop until we get things figured out. You see, I refurbished Jack's laptop for him a few months back, and now I'm actually using that laptop for this show. So without Jack's help and willingness to let me borrow his computer, this show probably wouldn't even be happening right now because I would have no way of actually putting it together. So thank you very much, Jack, for helping me out and helping the show out. And to show my appreciation, I want to let the people know and remind them that they do have your number, Jack. 
You see, on episode 156, I gave out Jack's number to the entire world so that you could text and call him and wish him a happy birthday. Well, I highly advise that everybody that is listening to me right now, if you don't have Jack's number, go to episode 156 and get his number again and text him and call him and say thank you so much for letting Tony borrow your laptop and saving the show. You should definitely do that as an audience and I know Jack would love it. He would appreciate it so much. So go ahead and do that right now. Now I wanna let you guys know that we are going to the Ohio Bigfoot Conference this year on May 2nd, 2020. The Confessionals will be a vendor at the Ohio Bigfoot Conference. And it's not just me showing up. It's my wife, it's my son, and even Jack is going to be there. The whole crew is going to be at the Ohio Bigfoot Conference. We're driving six hours to get there. So if you're within a five to six hour radius of the Ohio Bigfoot Conference in Salt Fork State Park, I highly suggest you come on out, meet me, hang out, meet all the cool speakers, all the cool people there, all the other vendors. It's a great family event that I highly recommend. And if I got to drive six hours to get there, you got to drive six hours to get there. So come on out to the Ohio Bigfoot Conference on May 2nd and meet me, meet my wife, Jack, Ben, and all the other vendors there. It's going to be a great time. And I highly recommend anybody who can to please show up, show out and love the event because it is a really great event. Lots of great vendors, lots of great speakers. It's an awesome time for everybody. So I want to let you guys know before we get into this episode, though, that I announced last week we are doing the Hammer Lane Legends. Me and my dad, we're going to do Hammer Lane Legends podcast. It is not out yet. A lot of people have been emailing me asking, where can I find it? I haven't found it yet. It's not on Apple iTunes. It's not there because we haven't released the show yet. I was just promoting the fact that me and my dad are going to be doing a podcast together focused on truckers and people who drive for a living and their wild stories from the road. So if you are interested in that show, go ahead and follow us on social media. In the meantime, on Facebook and Instagram, it's Hammer Lane Legends. And on Twitter, it's at HLL Podcast for Hammer Lane Legends. HLL podcast on Twitter. You can follow us on social media and keep up to date so that you don't miss the launch, which should be around late February, early March is what we're shooting for. Can't promise it, but that's what we're shooting for. It's going to be a great time with me and my dad, and I know you guys will love it. So if you have a story though for us, for Hammer Lane Legends, go ahead and shoot us an email at hammerlanelegends at gmail.com, and we will talk with you about coming on the show and sharing your wild story from the road. Now this week we have Anna coming on the show. And Anna talks about these five demons that followed her throughout her life, but she also talks about a lot of other stuff. In fact, one time she actually got injured when she was supposed to be in a play. And when she saw the pictures from that night, she got a real big surprise when she found out that she was in these pictures, even though she wasn't there. So let's bring on Anna and talk to her about her wild experiences right now. All right. Today we have Anna here with us. Anna, how you doing? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing fine. So you have a lot of different experiences that you've had throughout your life. And I don't know if you view them all connected in a way, but it's definitely peculiar. Some of these experiences that you've had, uh, you could even go as far as saying that you had a, dop- a doppelganger um, in one of the locations where you were supposed to be, but you weren't there. Uh, but I want to start off with the Catholic school uh, that you attended when you were younger. There were some issues with it. Uh, you said it was ran like a cult. What, what, what happened there? Um, I think that that's actually where everything started. So I, everyone, I always joke about how I grew up in the town from a horror movie. And uh, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of Boone, Iowa, but that is where I grew up. And it is uh, in the 60s, there were a bunch of cults there. They actually had took over some of the major graveyards. Um, But the high school that I went to was built on top of a spring that the Native Americans who were and lived there saw as an evil spring. And so they actually gave the land to Daniel Boone's son is the one who founded the town. They gave the land to him just to get rid of this evil spring that they did not want anything to do with. Um, the Catholic school, which is a few blocks away from that, um, my parents are very religious. Uh, so they sent me to Catholic school growing up. We didn't have the nuns. We didn't have anything of anything like that. But we also didn't have the basic education that you should get from a school. From probably second grade on, we were told, this is what you need to think. This is what you need to believe. This is what you need to do. 
um, to the point where they were actually trying to, once people started leaving and going to public school, they were actually trying to brainwash us into staying there by having teachers come back and tell us these horror stories about the public school, which after I switched to the public school, I realized were not true. Um, my In eighth grade, when you were supposed to be learning basic grammar rules and things like that, we were actually making cards for people in the church. So my basic grammar education happened my freshman year of college. Wow. Um, beyond that, everything in the town is just, you get a very eerie feeling even just entering the town. Um, it, it, something is very clearly off there, but no one can ever quite place what it is. And even people who, um, go to college with me, who I've brought back home there, when we drive into the territory of the town, they're like, wait a second, something's off. Really? So, I mean, it's something that people just, they can sense as they enter the town, especially if they're not from there. Yeah. Even the least sensitive people. If you go beyond the quaint little hometown looking downtown area, immediately something is something is off, something is wrong, something is not good. Hmm. That's interesting. What kind of stuff was the uh the nuns or whoever was, you know, teaching at the Catholic school, what were they saying about public school that turned out not to be true? Like were they saying it's, you know, filled with sex, drugs and rock and roll? I don't know. What what were they saying? You know, as outdated, I, I, this was around probably 2008. So, and as outdated as the sex, drugs, and rock and roll is, that's what they were telling us because those were things that we were trained to be scared of. Uh, we had a teacher who every week she would come back from her IEP meetings uh, at the middle school. And every week we would find her at her desk crying because she said word for word, there were students skipping class, having sex in the hallways, shooting up heroin in the bathroom and snorting cocaine off of their desks in the middle of class. Jeez, I mean, if if that was the case, if that was for real, like you would think the school would be shut down. My Lord, it sounds like it's just a, a rave. Yeah, it, it sounds, you know, like a crazier party than I've ever been to. But they would tell us that. And we were, you know, conditioned from, because I started there in preschool, we were conditioned from preschool to believe every word that our teachers told us. So when our teachers told us that, we believed them. And when it happened every single week for almost four years, at some point that's that shapes your worldview. That just is psychologically, this is how things are in the world. And it was right before the internet, so we didn't have the social media. We couldn't connect with people outside of our school. And our school wasn't even participating in the public school sport because there were eight kids in my class. I got you. So it was a tiny school. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned, it, you know, back in 2008. I know, I, I'm pretty sure Facebook became existent uh, in 2007. And at, at that time, it was meant for just, you know, talking with other college students. If you were a part of college, I don't think you could even join Facebook. So yeah, social media back then wasn't like it is now. And so, you know, it, it was a lot less uh, communication, being, you know, amongst people. Like now we can talk to people anywhere in the world. Back then, that was a very new thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and even at that point in time, it was the next year after that was the very first year any of us got a like a Gmail account. Yeah, I remember when Gmail came out first. When it first came out, I thought, oh, that's not going to stick around much longer. So I, I just didn't. I didn't get a Gmail account until like years later because I was like, I'm waiting on it to fall through. But you know, it shows how much I know about Google and everything. <laughs> it's a monster <laughs> now. But uh, you know, you you mentioned that you have uh, these demonic influences in your life, and it's not just one. I think you said in the email is like four or five of them. Uh, how'd you come to know that these things were in your life, uh, and what like what happened? Well, I actually didn't realize it for a very long time because whenever I would try to tell my parents or teachers, I would either be laughed back into the hallway or they would be like, oh, it's just your guardian angel. It's okay. Um, and things like that, things that didn't quite cover what I was feeling. And it wasn't until college when I started reading some more books. I actually was in the library one day and I, in the seven tiers that are go way up the hall. And I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. And I picked up the book and read the entry about 
what qualifies as demonic. And I was like, oh, this makes sense now. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you think you picked those up? I mean, do you think they were always with you or was it something that happened that kind of attracted them to you? Well, I don't, um, I'm not sure. It happened so early in life that I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, the, the very first thing that I ever saw was I had an, uh, well, my mother called an imaginary friend when I was little, the man in the brown suit. And I feel like it should have been a tip off to her that my imaginary friend's name was the man in the brown suit and not something, you know, like a kid would come up with. Um, but I later came to find out by looking at family pictures that that was my great grandma's husband. Interesting. Um, and he, I guess, always wore a brown suit. So, uh, but in terms of the really demonic stuff that probably started happening, um, Definitely middle school or later. Uh, Before that, it was mostly stuff where things would happen and I wouldn't quite, I was too young to really understand what was happening around me. So it's a daily occurrence that things would fly off the wall or that I would just hear like whispers all around me, things like that. That would be a daily occurrence. Um, The the first, the very first thing that I noticed was, that there was a shadow at the end of the second and third grade hallway. And as a second and third grader, I didn't quite understand that anything that felt that bad is evil. Uh, Because in our Catholic school, you'd think that, oh, you get a sense of happiness and peacefulness, but that's never um, never the feeling that came out of our school. It was always you walked in and just immediately heaviness. Um, including to the point where it actually started to affect some of the students there. Um, Students who were normally perfectly nice people would just overnight become awful human beings, it seems like. Um, Even teachers who you'd think that teachers have the responsibility to be caring individuals, especially at a religious school. I had like three or four teachers one time gang up on me and scream at me down the hallway. So there was very clearly something there that was affecting people. Um, But no one else could see what was at the end of the hallway. And later when I was probably a freshman in high school, I decided to go back and I did about the stupidest thing that a young person can do. And I decided to make my own Ouija board and bring it with me. (laughs) Oh, that's, that's not the smartest thing to do. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, I made my own Ouija board. I brought it with me and I brought it right to where I, right to where I usually saw this thing at the end of the hallway. And it was made out of paper. So I have no idea why it worked, but I had my fingers on it like you're supposed to. And it started moving in kind of a weird way. And so I took my fingers off of it and all of a sudden the paper just blew down the hall and that freaked me out. So I ran as hard as I could and I looked over my shoulder and I just, I saw black. The hallway, this this is the lights were on in the hallway as well, but I just saw black, like darker than dark black. And of course, since I wasn't paying attention to where I was running, I ran into a fire wall and I sprained my arm. But it was, uh, that was the first experience I had where something was very clearly bad, evil. You have to get away from this. Wow. Uh, when you saw all black, I mean, were you, are you, do you think you were seeing into another realm or do you think that maybe there was some kind of entity there that was just so big and consuming that you couldn't see anything other than that entity? Um, well, actually, I'm not sure which one of those two it is because I've had both of those things happen before. Um, You've seen into another realm before? I've been in one, uh, unfortunately. And to preface this for the rest of everyone listening, I am very skeptical of everything. I'm, I, my level of rationalization is equivalent to blonde girls in horror movies. I can rationalize anything, but this is the only explanation I've come up for some of the things. Um, the next experience is actually one where we went, we were in a play in high school and me and my friend were the troublemakers. And so we were blamed for losing a prop in the old building that was being, you know, it it was scheduled for renovation. It was being torn down. And we went into the basement of the old building 
And we found this wooden door that we had never seen there before. And we had been exploring here many times, but this is right over the portion of the high school that was built on the Native American Evil Spring. Um, but we, uh, we went down into the basement, opened this wooden door, and it was concrete stairs down into a room that just looked like it was concrete. The weird, that all seemed normal. Our high school was built like a maze, but the weirder part was that in that concrete room, there were scorch marks on the floor. And it looked like there was a tunnel that had stairs going further down, which shouldn't have been possible because we were already in a basement. Um, and I, something told me that I needed to go further down those stairs. Like I needed to check it out. I was so curious as what was down there. But it was this feeling of, it's the feeling you get right before something really, really terrible is about to happen. Uh, just that sense of dread, the cold sweat that washes over you. But for some reason, I had to see what was down there. Uh, and at the last minute before my foot touched the bottom flight of the bottom of the floor, my friend grabbed my collar and pulled me back because she was she was the logic in this scenario that says, hmm, maybe don't go down into that dark tunnel. There's probably something bad down there. Uh, and so we went back up. We ended up finding the prop, but we sent her. I didn't want to go back down there because it was it felt so oppressive and bad. But we sent her older brother, who was in high school with us, down to kind of check out. And then we also sent some of his friends. No one could ever find that door. The door just wasn't there anymore. It was a concrete wall. So your friend experienced this with you. What was her conclusions as to what happened? I mean, you're saying this was pretty much another realm that you guys were in. Uh, did she come to the same conclusions or did she just think it was some, something weird that uh, she didn't really want to talk about? Because that happens a lot, too, where people just don't want to talk about what they experienced. Well, it was kind of a kind of a thing with both of those um both of those conclusions at first we talked about it a lot. We, cause she, she saw all the same stuff that I saw for a long time. Cause we were so close. Um, the problem became though, is that I have the, I, cause this is not the only time that something like that has happened. One time we were walking through, um, technically trespassing through a forest area in one of the parks. And we found this really old gazebo and it, had a fire pit in it that looked like it had been burned recently. Like you could smell campfire smoke. And we found these, these blank dog tags. It looked like someone had tried to burn with batteries. And I don't know if that's how you make dog tags with a campfire, but I would just assume that it's not. Um, but I actually took the dog tags with me. I still have the dog tags and they still have the weird energy to them. But we walked out of there and we've been hiking back there since that gazebo is no longer there. That whole trail to that area is no longer there. That's interesting. What what are the chances that the gazebo was taken down? You know, you, like you said, I mean, you you always rationalize everything, uh, but you did say that this is kind of in the area where it's no no trespassing. It was in the middle of nowhere. Uh, do you think it was a possibility that somebody just took it down, or was there no sign of the existence of a gazebo there? Well, not only was there no sign of the existence there, it would have been impossible to take down this structure in less than a day because we came and we visited this area again less than 24 hours later and it wasn't there so you mentioned that there was like signs of a fire there and before you mentioned about the scorch marks when you mentioned the scorch marks did you mean like signs of a fire being there as well at the theater um it was more it was more along the lines of as if someone had like taken um almost taken a torch or something and just ran along the floor enough that it, you know, left a mark on the concrete. Okay. I just find it, you know, I, I, I for me, I tend to try to look for things when I'm hearing people's stories that tie things together. And I was just wondering if maybe there's something to do with the fire aspect of things. Like maybe somebody's doing some kind of ritualistic things that are creating these events for you. Yeah. Well, actually that sounds pretty likely, but, <laughs> um, but that's that's kind of some of the stuff that happened in Boone. My my friend, unfortunately, we no longer speak to each other. But it's because I got really curious about this stuff because 
I, I sent you a picture along with my original email that shows in our, one of our homecoming pictures, we took a picture across the street from her house. And if you look up in the window, you can see a face of a boy that is completely transparent. Yeah. I, um, you sent that picture to me in the email, right? Yes. Yeah. And I, I, I was looking at the picture and I definitely see that face. Uh, was there something to do with that tree in the picture as well? No, that was just a weird lump on the tree. Okay. I wasn't sure if you were trying to draw similarities or something like that, but there's definitely a uh, a picture here that has it looks like a face in in the uh, uh, the window. I I don't, for me personally, I don't know how you distinguish it being a little boy to just a, a face. What makes you feel like it's a little boy? Um, <laughs> other things that have happened there. So my friend. When she was younger, she used to go skating with us all the time at the local skating pond, which is, you know, long enough ago that this is actually a pond that would get frozen over in the winter. Um, about a week after she went skating with this kid, he fell through the ice and he did not make it back out. Um, so she, we always just assumed that that was what that was. Okay, I got Because you. he would have been exactly our age at that time. All right. Uh, so... You're having these experiences where uh, it seems like you're entering into another realm or another realm is entering into your reality, at least. Uh, Things are no longer there that were there not too long ago. Um, At what point do you start saying to yourself, uh, there are paranormal things happening to me? Because as somebody who tries rationalizing everything, I imagine it it took more than just your first experience to say, hey, there's something crazy going on here. Yeah, that actually happened probably about college when I started admitting it. Oh, that's right, because you said you started looking into it with the books and that you were reading and things like that. Yeah. So uh, you have mentioned to me that uh, I guess you were in a play and you hurt yourself and you weren't there that night, yet a picture surfaces of you posing in a picture at that play, right? Yeah. That's exactly what happened. Um, backstory to that, I am a very not think before I act person. So I was at a swim meet earlier that day before the play. And during that swim meet, I had slammed my middle finger between the scoreboard that's in the pool and the side of the pool. And those things are probably about 70 pounds. So I had between a brick wall and 70 pounds crushed my middle finger. Um was a very fun cast to wear around because it looked like I was flipping everyone off. And as a cynical high schooler, I was very excited about that. But um, I was not able to make the play that night because I was in the emergency room having them look at my finger and making sure that there was no permanent nerve damage because that was an option as hard as I crushed it. Um, and then later that night, I did show up to the after party, which is where you see me with the cat, uh, which is I have another picture at that day's after party with a cast on my finger. And I'm, I'm, I had my arms around another girl because uh, she was playing something else and our characters were really good friends. And so you can see the cast on my finger. But in the picture where you can see my eyes are just sheer white, there was no cast on my finger. And I was in actually in the emergency room at the time the picture was taken. So what are your conclusions with that? I mean, to me doppelganger much yeah this is um unfortunately this isn't the only time that this has happened uh i have so i had a roommate who she was she was the one who kind of helped me to notice it first she moved in a hundred percent atheist and she moved out saying that she was spiritual because of all the things that she saw living in the dorm room with me uh but every, it was almost a daily thing where she would be walking back from class and she would see me out on campus somewhere. She would maybe wave to me. At times, she would have even have a full-on conversation with me. She'd walk back to the room, and I would have been sleeping in the room for about two hours. So what do you think is going on here? I mean, do you think that there is... I mean, first of all, what, what are your thoughts on the idea of a doppelganger? Do you think that's like an, another you in another dimension that's coming through? Or do you think this is more of a demonic entity manifesting and posing as you? Um. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I'm not sure how I feel about other dimensions. I've looked into 
the physics and the math behind other dimensions in the past for various classes, but I don't know how strongly I believe in that. Um, but I also don't know how strongly I believe in it being a demonic entity. The one, the one person, uh, that I have spoken to about it was the, before he stopped talking to me because he got scared of me, the priest who did an exorcism on me. Uh, he, he said, when this, this was the first thing that I explained to him because nothing else had happened at that point. But he said that often a lot of times before a saint becomes a saint, they have, they are seen in multiple places at once. And I laughed at that and I probably should not have laughed at that thinking back, but, um, I would, I would have to assume it's not anything good. Well, I'd never heard that before about the saints being seen in multiple uh, locations and stuff. Uh, it's called bilocation. What's what's it called? Bilocation. Okay. See, I didn't know that the Catholic Church even acknowledged that something like that could be possible. They do actually, um, but apparently, in more modern times, they're trying to distance themselves from stuff like that. So they did. I don't know if they still do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean. Uh, it, to me, it just catches me off guard just because in general, um, and I say this a lot on the show, but, uh, the Western Christianity church, uh, is really distanced itself from the supernatural aspect of things. And so, you know, you have, you know, people who are experiencing paranormal things, supernatural type things. And the one organization that you think would give credence to it, meaning the, the church, uh, is the one organization that's, you know, they're like, no, that doesn't happen. And it's like, well, <laughs> it happened in the Bible that you that you read a lot, you know, <laughs> like, why not now? Well, and that is, is that this priest is, I think, still the only one at the church who, the only one I've ever met, actually, who really goes along the lines of, well, it happened in the Bible, so it has, you know, it has to have some real life equivalent, so... So at what point did he feel like he needed to perform an exorcism on you, and why? Well, my mother actually asked him to, because uh, the very first thing that happened was I moved into a new place um, when I moved out of the dorms, and there's a big backyard, but there's one corner that just goes to a point, and it's always just 10 times darker than the rest of the yard and about 10 times colder than the rest of the yard. And even grass kind of has a hard time growing over there. Um, the, one of the very first nights I moved in, when my mom was still staying with me just to help me transition, um, we were kind of sitting out on the patio because it was a beautiful summer night. And we saw something that it had the shape of raccoon, but it looked like as big as a St. Bernard. And it kind of started in that corner of the yard. And then it probably went in the span of about 15 feet in less than a second. Um, and then we blinked again, and it was standing back in that corner of the yard. And my mom didn't quite understand what was going on. And she thought it was a stray dog and started to try to invite it up onto the patio. And immediately I was like, Mom, 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 no, don't do that. Don't do that. And she backed off when we went inside. But... um Anything that's that big that moves that fast and has that strange of a shape, because raccoons are thick animals, um, but this definitely couldn't have been a dog. It moved like a raccoon, even. Interesting. Uh, and the, pardon me if you said this before, but uh, did it have like color or anything like that to it, or was it just a straight up shadow looking figure? Um, it was just a straight up shadow, but like it was somehow a darker shadow than every other shadow around it. I totally understand what you're saying. That's a common thing when people are describing paranormal entities that they've seen. They say that, you know, it was in a very like pitch black room, yet they still could see it because it was actually darker than the room around it. So that's kind of what you were just, you were just describing, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, then from there, uh, I, you know, I, I lived here alone for the, pretty much the rest of that summer. And then with a roommate who I almost never saw for a semester after that. So it was probably about 12 months that I was living here alone. And during that time, it got worse and worse because I would take out the trash. The trash was in the backyard and I would have to take two steps 
off the patio to put the trash in the bin. And in those two steps, it is the most terrified that I have ever felt. It felt like something was crowding me, like surrounding me, just pressing in on me. Like, but you didn't see anything. It was just it felt like the night air was just pressing in. Um, and then I would just immediately I would throw it in the bin and I would just run back to the run back to the living room because I I could not be out there anymore. Um, and that eventually culminated in um, one very scary night, which uh, I walked out to put the stuff in the bin and I gave myself a pep talk before because once again, I can rationalize anything. But I said, you know what? You're 22. You do not need to be afraid of the dark. Calm down. You're going to be fine. And I walked out there as confidently as I could. I took two steps, those two steps onto the grass, and something felt even worse than usual. And as I reached up to throw the trash over the fence into the bin, it felt like someone had taken like three hot iron barbs and just ran them down my back. Um, I collapsed and I rolled back onto the patio because at that point I was just too terrified to move. And uh, then I, I looked out, um, I looked out into the yard and I saw two bright yellow eyes staring back at me. And I ran back into the house, locked all the doors, locked all the windows, um, tucked myself under the covers. And then I started hearing what sounded like, oh, I can't even describe it. It was, um, it sounded like it, it sounded like a hyena laughing outside my bedroom window, which is based the same way as the, the that corner of the yard. But it sounded like a hyena laughing, and I tried to ignore it, thinking, "Oh, I'm sure it's a coyote or an owl because owls make crazy noises." Um, and then it slowly transitioned, and it honestly sounded like in the old movies when the villain just throws their head back and cackles, it sounded like that very loudly. And it did that for about an hour before I eventually just was able to tune it out and go to sleep. Wow. And you were by yourself at the time, right? I was a hundred percent alone in the house. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So, and did this happen in the same town you grew up in? I mean, or were you like out of town, you know, no, living with this the, was the, town that, the town I go to college in is about 15 minutes away. Okay. So it's not too far away. Mm-mm. Um, and that happened. And then the next, I told my immediately when I woke up in the morning, I called my mom and I told my mom about it. Um, and she said, you know, kind of talked about different options and having the house blessed. And, um, then the next night she was home with my younger brother who unfortunately sees a lot of the same stuff I do as well. And all of a sudden she said she woke up and it felt like the entire house was just dark and the house was pressing in her on her and she said she literally ran into the middle of the living room and started singing the church song because she thought that something for sure was going to hurt them and she said she despite the fact she was singing at the top of her lungs no one in the house woke up but finally the air got lighter and she was able to go back to sleep and the next day she told the priest <laughs> and so the next day she tells the priest and is that when the whole um exorcism was put into motion? Yes. And it actually happened the next day because the priest just immediately said, yep, we need to get this done. So he came over, he blessed the house, and then he put his hand on, and we were all standing in a room in the basement, but my he put his hand on my forehead, and we were both standing there, and my mom was standing off to the side, her head bowed in prayer, and I had my eyes open. And as he was praying, all around me, I started to see just shadows moving past my vision and I know that he could see it too because he kept like pausing in the prayer like he was like was seeing something and his head kept moving like he was seeing things but apparently my mom didn't see anything during this process so how'd this whole exorcism go I mean uh it's not like you were unconscious and you don't remember any of it uh what describe to us what he was doing and I mean 
Do you feel like you needed an exorcism? You know, I didn't, but um, I wasn't going to question my mom when she told me I did. Um, I didn't feel like I needed one, but he essentially just put his hand on my forehead and started praying in Latin. And I don't speak Latin. I I, I only speak English and Spanish. So, um, But he started praying in Latin and about probably five minutes into it, the shadow thing started happening. And after about 10 minutes of it, he finished up whatever Latin prayer and then left. That was it. And that was it. And supposedly that was all it needed to be done. Whatever was there was gone. Okay, so the the priest, he just kind of leaves and that's that. I mean, did he ever reconnect with you to see how you're doing or anything like that? Or was it like a one-time thing and he's, he's out of there? Um, I have, I, I, I saw him since cause he, he works at the same school as my mom does, which is the Catholic school that has, that I was talking about, which has since apparently turned around a hundred percent. There's still definitely something there, but supposedly has turned around a hundred percent. Um, in terms of education and not being run like a cult, but I've seen him since uh, when I go up, when I would go up and visit my mom at, at uh, during lunch, and he would always be pleasant and say hi, but overall, just generally try to avoid me at all costs. Now, why do you think that is? Do you think it's because of the things that he was seeing when he was praying? It kind of put right in front of him that this is the real deal kind of stuff, and he wasn't used to that, or or what? I I honestly don't know, but uh, something actually very similar happened one time. I went to, my mom is really into the essential oils and healing crystals and somehow justifies that with being Catholic at the same time. And I don't think I'll ever fully understand that, but she liked to go to those psychic and medium fairs. And so one time she convinced me to go with her to the psychic and medium fair, and I she she said, oh, you need to sit down and have your angel cards read. And I had never heard of angel cards, and I still don't 100% know what they are or if they're real. But the I just said I didn't want to do that. And all of a sudden, this woman walks up to me, and she said, her, her, her sign said like $50 readings, and that's not happening. I'm a college student. I am broke. But her sign said $50 readings. She said, no, come here. I give you reading for free. You need it. And I was like, okay, but I, I can't pay $50. Like, I can't even pay you $5. I, I can't pay you anything. She's like, no, you need it. Come here. And she was actually able to describe for me in astonishing detail one, like, the thing that I was having the most, the things that I was having the most trouble with. And at that point, I had not even told my own mother what those things were. Um, and, uh, the only other time I've experienced anything like that was when me and my friend went the next year. And of course we, we all, we dressed up all crazy with our hair in, um, with our hair all teased out and we dressed in these giant flowy gowns because we were there to essentially tease people and try to get them to think that we were psychic because me and my friend were not the greatest people, (laughs) (laughs) but we did that, and there was one woman who, every time I walked past her, her jaw dropped, and she just looked at me like she was seeing something out of a nightmare. Um, and it was actually because of because of that, and because of the stories from when I was a kid that I told my friends that they all jokingly and jokingly started calling me the queen of hell because they would always ask me, well, do any of this stuff feel evil? I was like, yes, it feels evil. But based on some of the stuff that's happened, it feels like it's protecting me. And so that led to just all of the queen of hell jokes. Yeah. I don't know if I'd want to be called that, (laughs) but you know, (laughs) when it's a joke, it's okay. But when people start taking it seriously, it becomes not okay. Yeah. That I just, uh, I, I don't think that I could, uh, be okay with somebody saying I'm the king of hell. Like, <laughs> I'd be like, uh, uh, can we do something else here? <laughs> um, it wasn't the most comfortable thing. I'm sure. It, when you, when you had that reading by the psychic, do you, what do you, do you think there was a benefit to that? I mean, you said that she was very accurate in it. Did it reveal anything to you? Did you feel like you walked away feeling, uh, enlightened or understanding of some things? 
Not really. I just, I, it almost felt like, oh, this is a confirmation. Like, I'm not going crazy. I'm not, you know, any of these things. This stuff is actually real. It's actually there and I'm actually seeing it. Yeah. So kind of backtracking a little bit to your mom, uh, you mentioned about her with uh, being involved with the healing crystals and the psychics and all that stuff and, you know, still being Catholic. Uh, has she always been involved in that stuff your entire life? Or is that something that's kind of like a, a relatively new development in your life with her? No, that's pretty much been our whole life. <laughs> Do you think that your mom might have kind of I I don't want to sound offensive or anything, but do you think your mom oh, no. might have brought? Do you think your mom would have brought this on to you by the things that she's involved in? No, the only reason I say that is because she's she's been into it her whole life. But her whole life, she's also seen things. Her problem is that she never sees the um, she never sees the bad. She only sees the good. So my my favorite story she she actually grew up Mormon. Uh, my dad's a Catholic. My mom's Mormon. I have a giant family, but she actually, she actually has seen stuff her whole life too. So, my favorite story that she's ever told me was one time she had to go pick up a friend from a party who was doing something dangerous, and she brought some people from her church with her, and they told her that when she was walking back with him across the lawn, that she was surrounded by all these giant tall men that were helping her. I don't know if I believe that. I don't know what I believe, but that's the that's the craziest story that she's ever told me. Giant tall men. That's a common description of what people say angels look like, very tall uh beings. Yeah. And uh, it just it just surprised me that that uh she she was going with that was what angels look like because the the very first thing I actually told her about was because it freaked me out so much, was in my dorm room. And this is the second scariest thing. This is the one that still freaks me out quite a bit to this day, besides the thing in the backyard. Um, the thing that was above, um, above my bed. So one morning I woke up in the dorms and I looked up and it looked like Oh, I can't even describe it. It was, um, you know, the internet drawings of what that urban legend creature, the rake, looks like? Yep, absolutely. It looked like that, but hanging on the ceiling, and it looked like it had just been burned to a crisp. You, you could see the burns all over it. It looked like charcoal. Um, and then it had piranha teeth, like the Nile piranha, where the teeth are just huge and then could grow up into the sides had that kind of teeth and it just had black nothing eyes and I woke up and that was of course I was on the top bunk because of course I was and I looked up and I saw that less than three feet and I just I first I was like nope there's a sleep paralysis this has to be sleep paralysis and so I started moving my legs and arms and just moved down under the covers and that's when I realized this isn't sleep paralysis and at the time this was happening as my roommate later told me she looked over and being the caring roommate she was she saw a giant shadow just perched above me and according to her she just thought every man for himself rolled back over and hit under the covers great great thanks Rumi <laughs> yeah Wow, that's that's kind of terrifying to be honest with you. And um, you know, I've heard the, about the rake creature before, and another person who told me about it, uh, he was down in Texas, and he actually saw two of these things walking up a hillside as he was driving down the road with a friend of his. And uh, you know, when he described it, it was a very not natural creature that he's ever seen before. But at the same time, it was very physical. It was just a very unknown creature. And, and, you know, sometimes I wonder with these creatures, people see and stuff, if they're, if they're physical, but at the same time, maybe from another dimension or, uh, maybe spiritual in a sense. Uh, do you think what you saw that night was a rake creature? Or do you think it was just some kind of demonic entity that kind of looked similar to what people describe as the rake? Uh, 
I think it was something just trying to scare me. Yeah. Well, it did a good job. Nothing, nothing can move like that. Nothing can bend its joint like that. Um, and the fact that I saw it as one thing and my roommate just saw it as a shadow also. That's true. Your roommate didn't see exactly what you saw. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then actually I'm glad she didn't because I think she would have moved out on the spot. Yeah. Well, and then you would have been alone. So that <laughs> that's not the greatest scenario either. Uh, so these, these demonic entities have been kind of haunting you and plaguing you, your life and stuff. Um, are they still bothering you to this day? Actually, yeah. Um, you know, it's not a daily occurrence anymore because I think, honestly, I think the more in a mentally, emotionally stable place that you are, the less things are able to bother you. Um, but cause the more, you know, the more sound I've gotten, the more happy I've gotten in my life, in my career, in my education, things have kind of started to drop off a little bit. Obviously, I don't think they're going to go away entirely. You know, a lot of people say that, oh, full body operations or something, it's a once in a lifetime thing. It's like a once a week thing. So I don't think it's ever going to go away entirely, but I think at this exact moment, it's getting, it's gotten better. So how does that make you feel to uh, feel like this is going to be a lifelong thing for me? Is that something that you just really rationalized and accepted in your mind? Or is it something that you're, you're constantly trying to progress in to, you know, eradicate? Um, I mean, I haven't really done anything to eradicate it. Um, when I was little, when I was younger, you know, high school age, I would just try to ignore it and think that would make it go away. And, uh, nope, that makes it worse. But I think it's not really, it's something that you just kind of get used to as time goes on. Obviously, there's always going to be things that will terrify, you know, just terrify the hell out of you. Um, nothing ever, nothing ever stops it when it's a surprise. Uh, but it, I think that in terms of it being a lifelong thing, I've kind of accepted that. Yeah. And I I can understand where you're coming from. The more people I talk to that have similar situations to you, it seems like people that experience these things over their life do kind of just come to an acceptance of it and just saying that there's not much that I can do because everything I've done before hasn't worked. Um, if you had the option, if you had the choice, if somebody came along and said, you know, I got this special prayer for you or um, elixir or whatever uh, to, to get rid of this stuff, would you? Or is it something that you feel is part of you and it's hard to part with? Um, I would actually not because uh, as unfortunately, this, um, this has actually helped me in my career. What's that? Do you, do you mind saying? Oh, not at all. Um, I am currently in law school. I'm training to be a prosecutor. And how do you think that has helped you? Um, it, it helped me because whatever it is that is, I'm able to feel the energy of things that aren't there. I'm also able to feel the energy and just kind of read people better of the people that are there. And so when I'm picking a jury, when I'm reading a witness, when I'm doing any of that, I'm just able to do it immediately better. Okay. So essentially you're cheating in the courtroom. <laughs> you got, you got an advantage on people. Yeah, essentially. Um, but it's, it also helps because then you get experiences where something happens and you just know that you've done the right thing. Um, so without giving any names or anything, we recently closed a vehicular homicide case where someone was killed by a drunk driver. And the day after we went to trial with them and it was, Oh, it was one of the most emotional experiences in my life. But the day after we finished, we wrapped up trial and we had gotten the best conviction we could on this person. Um, I came into work and I was sitting there and all of a sudden I felt a hand on my shoulder. And I looked up and I saw the person who was killed in the accident. Wow. Is that the first time you saw a deceased person like that? Or is that something that's also, re- you know, kind of regular? It's regular, but I've never actually seen one. That was the first time I've ever seen one where... I had worked a case and where I didn't know the person before they had passed. Okay. Well, Anna, before we get rolling here, uh, I wanted to ask you with these experiences that you've had, you've had, you know, negative experiences, uh, positive experiences. Is there ever a sense or maybe a sign that 
lets you know what you're about to enter into before it gets heavy? I mean, do you ever like notice, hey, so this particular thing happens whenever, uh, you know, I'm about to see something or that makes you feel comfortable? Does that make sense at all? I mean, is there ever any triggers or signs that tell you something's about to happen? Not usually. Um, usually it's just, you know, the the only really weird sign, or not even sign, but it's always weird because despite the fact that a lot of these things feel truly, truly evil, I also get the sense that maybe they're protective in a way. So do you feel like all the stuff is protective of you or is it just... Yeah. Cert- wow. Okay. That's interesting. Um, Very interesting. Even even the, the scratches in my backyard, uh, the, even the thing that had with the yellow eyes that had scratched me in my backyard, even that, I, you know, in, in some ways feel as protective. Well, I guess um, protective could go either way as far as, you know, what intent is behind the protective stuff. I mean, somebody like a psychopath can be protective of it's the person it's stalking, yet it's not necessarily a good thing that it's stalking the person. You know, the person um, doesn't want the stalker, but, you know, they are protective. Um, so with that said, I mean, you, I, I, it sounds like to me that you've experienced things where some of it's positive, some of it's negative, but whatever it is, it tends to be just very protective of you. Protective of me and also protecting of me. Um, obviously, those are two different things, but like a year ago, I got in a car accident that even the police officer on scene said that you should not be alive after this car accident. Um, my head went through the side of a glass window. Um, but right before the car accident, the only reason that it was not a collision where a truck going 70 miles per hour hit the side door of my itty-bitty little car is because right as I was going into that intersection, um, I saw a shadow or something in my passenger seat, and I just jerked the wheel because I was so startled by it. And that's the only reason that it was not that bad of a collision. Wow. So it's not like you were, you know, baffled as to how you survived it, but rather you remember what happened beforehand that caused the the immediate reaction. Uh, that's that's really interesting. That's really interesting. Um, you know, with everything that you've experienced, uh, I imagine you're going to experience a lot more throughout your life. Uh, and you know, there's a lot of people out there that experience similar things to you and stuff that don't uh, feel the same way you do as far as uh, how sometimes, you know, these things are protective of you and things like that. Um, it's very interesting. I really, you know, I just want to thank you for coming on and sharing some of this stuff. Yeah, no problem. Um, I was a little bit hesitant to come on at first, but well, I'm glad you did. And uh, I understand the hesitation and stuff. This stuff can be hard to talk to. And, um, you know, I know people, they, they hear the show and, you know, they're probably thinking sometimes because it's a vulnerable thing to do to talk to a complete stranger. That's what I am. I mean, you hear the show, but I'm a stranger. And to talk to a complete stranger about these crazy things you, that you feel is just so absurd. Uh, will he believe me? You know, all that stuff. But uh, I'm really glad that you did and stuff. And, uh, you know, it's very, it's a very weird world we live in. And uh, you just shared a fascinating piece of it. And I thank you. Yeah. Well, and then something you were talking about on a show a few weeks ago, uh, it just, I got a really weird thing in my head that for some reason I needed to say to you. Um, you said something about, oh, you feel like there's almost a barrier between what we're allowed to see and what we're not allowed to see. And you said in some ways you think that's weakening. Yeah. I think the veil is starting to weaken. Yeah. Well, the way, the way you said it, something clicked in my head and I felt that I needed to tell you that it very much feels like that. I don't know why something clicked in my head that I needed to say it, but it did when I heard it. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, coming from somebody who's experienced what you experience and stuff, uh, confirming my suspicions is uh, is a good thing, I guess. Um, but yeah, with the way things are going in the world and the experiences that people are having, and le- not even that, but just you know, your own governments coming out and saying things that you never would have imagined them saying. Like right now, uh, the U.S. military, I believe it's the Navy, is encouraging the people within the Navy 
Navy to come forward and share their uh, UFO experiences when they're out there. Uh, that's something that never happened before. In fact, they were discouraged to do such things because you were looked like a lunatic. And now they're saying, uh, we want you to come forward and share these things. And it should tell you that well, there's a lot of things that could tell you when you read into it, but you know, maybe one of the things is that the military, for all these years that we were like, oh, they know what's going on, they're keeping it covered up. Maybe they really don't know what's going on, and they're finally at a point where they're willing to come out and say, hey, we want you to, you know, talk about this so we can try to understand it more. Or maybe they're trying to throw people off, you know, off scent and and make it look like they're innocent and all this. Maybe they know something's about to happen and they're trying to make it look like they had no clue. Uh, there's a lot of things that are going on in this world, though. But one thing is for sure, uh, the more people coming around and sharing these stories and experiences will tell you that uh, the veil is thinning, the, the, the division between this physical realm and the other spiritual interdimensional realms is something that uh, the two realms are becoming much, much closer as the days go by. And when that happens, I think people are seeing a lot of things that they never could have imagined. Well, I think the scariest thing is going to be when we finally admit that we don't actually know what's going on, uh, because I think psychologically, that's what scares us the most is just not knowing what's all out there. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, please share the show with your friends. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, email, guerrilla marketing. I don't care how you share the show, but if you enjoyed it, please share the show because that is the best thing you can do to help the show grow. And a reminder, we are going to the Ohio Bigfoot Conference on May 2nd. 2020. So if you want to come hang out with myself, my wife, my son, and even Jack, go to the Ohio Bigfoot Conference.org and get your tickets today. If you're only interested in the vendors area, that is free admittance. So all you got to do is show up to the Salt Fork State Park Lodge and walk right in and hang out with all the awesome vendors, including my wife, my brother, my son, And I'm not that awesome, but you can hang out with me too. Anyways, until next week, friends, stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. Bye. I'm from the east side of America, where we choose pride of a character. We can pick sides, but this is us, this is us, this is I live on the west side of America Where they spin lies into fairy dust And we can pick sides, but this is us, this is us, this is Don't believe the narcissism When everyone projects and expects you to listen to me Make no mistake, I live in a prison that I build myself, it is my religion And they say that I am the sick boy Easy to say when you don't take the risk, boy Welcome to the narcissism You're way united under our indifference